rise above, so below. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. I study meaningful coincidences. You can order my book, Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why how and why synchronicity and serendipity happen. And it covers uh, most of the territory. Uh, it's an introduction to a broad and somewhat confusing area. And I try to make sense out of it. And I'm told by people who read it that, yeah, it's, it's a way of bringing it more clearly to the general public as well as to researchers. So that's meaningful coincidences that the cover is right behind my right shoulder. I also have uh, um, something called the Coincidence Cafe, um, which is um, happens on the third Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And it's an hour and a half of people talking about their coincidence stories with each other because many people feel they're isolated from general public because they have these weird experiences. And our job is to normalize meaningful coincidences. They're pretty common. It's just that people don't recognize them. And I think recognizing them can be a big help to humanity. One of my stories today uh, is going to be about doctors because we're interviewing a surgeon, which doesn't happen too often uh, on the show. And, uh, and we're going to be talking about coincidences in medicine with uh, Tamara Tilleman. But my story first uh, an internist, a guy I know, Larry Dossey, had dreamt the day before of a patient encounter that was almost the same as what his dream said the encounter would be. So we have a, a precognitive capacity as people and as physicians, but physicians are trained to be data-based and not use weird ideas like this. But this is going to become data-based. We're going to be able to show that meaningful coincidences can be, are, and will be better part of the practice of medicine. Another one, uh, getting it, getting from uh, an otolaryngologist, um, I needed some stories for, for medical uh, coincidences, and this guy just emailed me, and this is the kind of thing that happens out of the blue. You get what you need sometimes, and one of the stories he told me was he woke up at 5 a.m. one morning, he couldn't breathe. Uh, and then he found out that a patient of his was in the emergency room, also at 5 a.m., not able to breathe. And this is called simultaneity. You feel the pain of usually a loved one, but somebody you're connected with, and sometimes somebody you're not connected with, you experience that person's pain or difficulty. And that's what happened with James Schimmel. Well, our, our guest today is Tamara Tilleman, and uh, she's a plastic surgeon, and she's, she's done too many things for me to tell you how many things she's done, so I'm going to try to, like, summarize it. Uh, besides being a plastic surgeon, uh, a scientist, philosopher, founder of Bio-Innovation, Bio-Innovation Academy, creator of Multiversism Philosophy, which we'll probably not get to today. Uh, she's been in higher education, Dean of Clinical Science at some kind of medical school in Boston. I wonder which one she's referring to. Uh, does it begin with an H, maybe? Um, no. <laughs> I was yeah. a faculty there, but not there. <laughs> not there. Uh, dean of Innovation in a STEM University, uh, uh, in a STEM University in China, granted the Harvard Catalyst Award and the Guangdong Guangdong. Innovation and Education Award, and she's living with her family in both Seattle and Miami. So she bilocates somehow in a way that we may we may find out. Maybe she just gets on a plane and they go with their family. She's been around the world a lot, and she's done a lot. But the most important thing that I think for you to know about her is that she has been involved with coincidence coincidences all her life, uh, well before she became a physician. So could you tell us 
your your history of meaningful coincidences in your life, Tamara. And welcome to the show. Thank you, Bernie, for this opportunity. I really enthusiastic to talk because I think that at the end of this interview, you will have enough examples for your book, only from the coincidence that I encountered during my life. Well, we're looking for something like that. Yes. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always saying when I'm starting um, any presentation or any lecture, that I can tell the story of my life in two versions. One version is the dry version, which means I went to medical school. At the same time, I went and I studied also economics, which was very important for the rest of my life. After that, I studied the business administration and public administration at Harvard University. Um, I did an MD in Israel. I did a PhD in the Netherlands because of something that happened to me on my first day of residency. And um, I'm, I have been um, a dean in several countries. And right now I have my Bioinnovation Academy, which is an academy that is teaching people how to combine innovation and biology, which is biomimicry. Which is biomimicry. Which is biomimicry. Yeah, it is a biomimicry. Yes, it comes from uh, bio. That's a subject we're going to get to because uh, this this mimicry thing of biological things is very very important uh, in all this coincidence stuff. So anyway, please continue. So I can tell you this story of my life, which is like a summary of a CV, but I can tell you the same story with amazing events, coincidence event to just drift me from one side to another place. And I can, but before we're starting it, I would say that maybe there is one ingredient here, and this is, I'm a very curious, curious person, and I admire nature and people, both sides. So I ask myself many questions, I ask other people many questions, and I like to be intrigued by people who are asking me questions. And after that, I like to combine things a little bit like playing Lego when we were kids. And maybe another confession is that during my life, many coincidence events happened to me uh, that completely changed the course of my life, professional and, and personal. And some of the events were not very um, happy events, were actually devastating events, but it ended up to become something that turned into a very good result. We call it serendipity. Uh, I'm practicing it all my life. And, and I thought that this is how everybody is being operated in our life. And then I found out that no, most of the people are ignoring coincidences, are ignoring synchronicity moments. And after 10 years, they can say, I saw it and I didn't do anything with this. By the way, if you want an example, so many of the physicians who treated patients that had gastric disease like ulcer, noticed that if they had like a flu or something like this, and they gave them antibiotics, they had infections in the hand. Also, the ulcer symptoms changed, but nobody paid attention. In 2004, two Nobel Prize winners were people who noticed that this is because of an inflammation. So if you're looking on events and you are stopping for a minute and asking, is it meaningful? What, what can I do with this information? Then you can start building something new, creating something new. And I think this is how I started with economics. Medicine ended up doing innovation because this is something that you can train yourself. You can practice. And there is a system to do it. This is what I'm teaching at the beginning. I thought it's only me. And then I started to teach friends. And then in medical school, and I ended up doing it right now with people and companies all over, organizations all over the world. So, and, and this this system that you develop based on your personal experiences um, is uh, 
is something that I'd like you to be able to tell our audience about. Sure. Um, I, I can tell you the story of my first day of residency. And from that story, we can get the system that is there. And sometimes the system is surprising. So I started my residency in plastic surgery, which was randomly in the middle of the year. We are starting residency usually one one month a year, usually it's June or July everywhere in the United States for sure. But I did general surgery and I was invited to do plastic surgery also by coincidence, a friend that I just met in the street. But when I came to that department, it was a random day of the week. And in this randomness, there are events that are random. There are events that are a coincidence. There, are, there is something that is a synchronicity and then we end up with serendipity this is the, the sequence i'm just telling now the story and i think we can start hearing it so it was my first day of residency i entered the hospital this was the hospital where i did my medical education this is hadassah and karim in jerusalem uh, and the beginning there is a process where you're getting your pager, you're going to HR, it takes time. By the time I finished it, it was all, almost lunchtime. I went to the department, my first day in the department, and I see nobody's there. So the head nurse is telling me, oh, did you, they just went to do some, um, um, to check a, a patient that is in the ICU. So I went to the ICU, I'm entering the ICU, my first day of re residency a new hospital, a new city. Um, and the chief of the department says, oh, come on, come on, come on. It's so good that you just came now. And they gave a consultation. There was a patient. It was an intubated patient, I think, after a brain hemorrhage. And he had a huge lesion on his right forearm. Huge round lesion, bleeding. I looked at the lesion and he said, can you guess what it is? And I said, that looks like a squamous cell carcinoma. And he said, you're right. We just did a biopsy. That's correct. It now, looks like a what? Squamous cell carcinoma. It's a skin mm -hmm. cancer. It's a middle grade skin cancer. It's not a melanoma. It's not as aggressive as melanoma, but not as easygoing as basal cell carcinoma. Some people can have basal cell carcinoma on their faces for years. And uh, it's very slow growing. But this was squamous cell carcinoma already bleeding. And then he said, so what do you recommend us to do? How do we operate it? And I said, um, this is a round lesion. We can remove the round lesion to see that the edge is free. The margins are free. And then we can close the lesion, close the surgical lesion after that with a surgical ellipse. And a surgical ellipse, just imagine that there is a round lesion, something round, and you want to remove it. In surgery, you cannot remove it directly, which means if you're doing a round incision and you're taking out this lesion, you cannot close it. And this is something like if you take your fingers, two fingers, and you close them together, you do a round and you close them together, you get an excess of skin on both edges. In plastic surgery, this is hideous. It's called dog ear. You don't want to have any excess skin on scars. So it is a well-known paradigm that you cannot close round lesions. And the chief of the department is saying, lovely, you cannot close round lesions. You're right. So what are the dimensions of the surgical ellipse? Um, there are dimensions. I knew the, the ratio of length to, to width. And then he said, what is the vertex angle of the ellipse? I never heard about it. So both ellipses, every ellipse have two vertex angles, which is where is the end of the ellipse. Long story short, he said that this is um, 30 degrees and he started to draw on the patient the ellipse. Now I'm coming from economics before that. I worked, I know what an angle is. I know how to move curves in in um, uh, economics, and that wasn't the 30 degrees, but I looked at it and I said to myself, maybe I didn't hear well. So I asked the guy next to me, 
did you say that? Did you say 130? And he said, no, 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 this is 30 degrees. You can't see it. Okay, so it was my first day of residency. And the chief of the department said something that is incorrect. I saw that this is like over. And this is what's important in all this story. I think it's going to be a little difficult to uh, track what you're meaning by 30 degrees here for those of us who are not used to thinking as visually as you are. And while it's coming out quickly from you, it's a little hard to follow. And that's okay. What's important is that you notice something that you were told that was incorrect. And, and that is what took you, got your attention. And that's what, that's how you proceeded. And you're telling the story that got you to looking at this circular lesion that was about to be sewn close, uh, about to be closed by coincidences. Uh, at the time you arrived, the nurse was in the uh, ICU. Uh, you had to go find the nurse. You heard the attending. So these are the kinds of things that you are that you are paying attention to in all of this. You're trying to be able to say that things happen what you first might call random, uh, which then become coincidences, which then in your sequence becomes synchronicity, which then lead to serendipity. And that's what I wanna be able to have our audience know is that sequence, because I don't see, I, I'm interested to see how you come, how you go from synchronicity to serendipity. That's a new sure. thing, the new thing for me. So we're gonna, so that's the basic pattern we want people to know about how you think what looks like random becomes a coincidence becomes synchronicity becomes serendipity and that's what what i maybe i believe can be helpful to the people who are watching us to apply to their lives as non-surgeons i'm going to stop here the story because i want to ask you a question okay bernie with your permission it is your first day. It is your first day at work. And this is important to understand how you go from random events into serendipity. This is your first day at work. Yeah. The chief of the department, uh, by the way, you were accepted to the most prestigious program on earth to be a plastic surgeon. You need to be a top surgeon. You need, you got a lottery ticket in a way. This is a dream job. You're coming your first day at work. Doesn't matter if it's medicine or something else. Good. And the person who's in charge, the most knowledgeable person in the room is saying something that you know that is incorrect. Your first day of work at Wherever work. Wherever you are. Okay. What do you do, Bernie? What do you yourself do at that moment? Well, it happened in fifth grade uh, where I uh, was reading uh, something in a book and then I looked in the index and there was a contradiction between what was in the math book and what was in the index. And I told the teacher that what's in the book is wrong. And she said, no, it can't be. And then I showed her where what was in the index that and so what I saw in the book itself was right so i i was very it, i was easy to do that is to be able to point out to the teacher that the book is wrong uh, that's not an easy thing for people to be able to do i've done i've been doing that most of my life now is not saying this, this is not this is not right that's how i got into the coincidence thing because it's there and nobody sees it or a lot of people don't and they should so that's what you're describing is kind of what I've done is challenge authority because uh, I could see what was there and they said it wasn't. So that's what I would do. But what you're telling other people is it takes a certain courage and a certain mindset to be able to tell the boss you're wrong. And so I need to tell you, I need to confess again, I didn't say anything to the boss. It's everybody's doing like a cost benefit calculation in their head That's right. before they are opening the mouth, especially when this is the first day of residency, the first day at work. My cost benefit there was very expensive. 
<laughs> I could have said you are totally wrong because if there's something that I know is is like vertex angles, I know very well what is a vertex angle, but I could have lost the residency that day. I could have lost my work that day. And um, I didn't want to be there. I came from a place that I was the beloved um, resident at general surgery. I didn't want to lose this position. So the first thing before you do anything, and this is very important because we will, by coincidence, find out things that are incorrect. Yes. Don't say anything. This is my first, this is my first rule. First of all, check yourself. Check yourself that what you think is correct. So the first thing that I did, everybody went to lunch. I went to the library, the medical library inside the hospital. And I went there and I did two things. First of all, I went and I copied that ellipse. I'm talking about almost 30 years ago, there was no cell phone, it was hard to get the copy. So I copied it, you know, like kids that are taking a negative, you're doing a drawing and you take a negative and then you have it. I still have this ellipse. I took the ellipse and I went to the library and I said, maybe I didn't hear well. First question yourself before you jump. First question yourself. Did I hear well? Is it correct? Go and find in the literature no matter what field it is, whatever you saw, whatever you think that you saw, was it correct? So I went to the literature, I went to the book, I took out all the surgery books and I found out the same thing. Two paradigms. One, you cannot close round, round lesions. The second paradigm, there are certain um, uh, dimensions, which is a length to width ratio of the ellipse, of the surgical ellipse, and also the vertex angle, everybody's quoting 30 now degrees. Let's, now let's be clear about what an ellipse is. So everybody knows what an ellipse is. Okay, I can draw it and it will be the easier, the easiest thing to do. So if you have any lesion, if you had a mole removed, or if you had the skin cancer removed, usually the lesions are round. They are almost rounded as a circle. So if you have a lesion, no matter what lesion it is, and I'm just drawing here a lesion, okay? Okay. You need to have margins, serif margins that you are cutting. And this is how we ended up with the surgical ellipse. Mm -hmm. So if you had the mole removed, and this was the side of the mole, had I removed just the circle, it was a very short scar, but usually we end up with the scar, which is three times the length of that mole, okay? So it's much elongated scar. So the way that surgeons are removing any lesion that is on the skin is by cutting it with the surgical ellipse. This is the form that you're doing, creating around the lesion in order to have safe margins, in order to have a nice scar. Those are the two things. Right. So I'm going back to the library and I'm finding out that he's quoting whatever has been quoted in the establishment for the last 200 years. But I'm noticing that even in the book when they're saying 30 degrees, it's not 30 degrees. So I went and I bought some measurement tools. I took all of those books, went home and I said, oh my God, this is incorrect. That moment that I have noticed that I could see a pattern that nobody else saw and this is correct. This is the important moment. Yeah, this is a, this is a moment when you see something that authorities tell you for years has been one thing and you know and you checked it out that they're wrong yes and you and you had a different idea about it and what's what you're making an, 
what's so important in what you're saying is you need to be able to check your intuition when you read that. You're, you're, you have a feeling, no, you're going to get some dog ears the way you do that. You don't have to have those edges be so ragged. There are other ways you can do it, and they're, they're using the wrong angle uh, idea in order to do it. And you knew it, you checked it out, you backed it up, you knew you were right. So being able to tell the emperor that he has no clothes is a difficult thing to do. But the reason that story is around is because a child sees the emperor with no clothes while everybody else is pretending the emperor has clothes on. And a child says, you're naked. And that's what you just were doing. Hands on, this is exactly the thing. A child can see things that other people cannot see. A newcomer can see things that other people cannot see. And I and someone from other disciplines can see things that other people cannot see. I had all the three of them at that moment. This was the synchronicity moment. I am coming not only from medicine, I'm coming from another discipline. I was there on the first day. I was there, the child that can say, the king is naked, but I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. And this is maybe if I can give any advice to people, don't say a word, wait. Until, wait. You, until you have substantiated your observation. Exactly. Tell you, I did exactly. that with my teacher, and you did that with with all the work you did behind what you did. And there's another very important process that you're describing tomorrow. There's that it's on that first day during transitions. During transitions, uh, coincidences are more likely to happen. That that's a good thing. Um, that's a very interesting. Um, the information, because two things can happen at that moment. Just think, you know, you came into a room and the most knowledgeable person in the room said two things that are two paradigms. One is you cannot close round lesions. The other one, there are certain dimensions to the surgery that we're doing for 200 years. Now, if you're a child, and you're arriving to a new place, like you listen to your parents. This is how paradigms have been created all the years, right? You went and you heard from the most knowledgeable person that you know, which is your father and mother. And then at the age of maybe five, six, seven, you will find out that they're not the most knowledgeable people in the room or in the world, but you adjusted, you took all of their beliefs and they became your beliefs. So a person in the transition who is not curious enough will end up accepting everything as a dogma. Someone who's coming with another view, it wasn't my first day of residency in general because I did already residency in general surgery. If it was my first day of general residency at, at all, I would have not seen it. I had the experience. I was multidisciplinary at that moment. Not only it's not plastic surgery, it's general surgery. I've worked in, in, the, in ICU and in emergency rooms for many years. I wasn't naive at that moment. Most of the people that starts to work at the first day are naive. And when you're naive, you're accepting everything as is. You don't challenge, not the authority for sure, not the paradigm, not anything else. So if you have some experience, it will help you. This is why becoming multidisciplinary people that are end, 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 they're doing one thing and another thing and another thing. This is a moment where everything is merging. This is a moment when you understand there is something else. And it's, it's a long process. The synchronicity of that moment was that I noticed someone that something that nobody else noticed. 
But it took me seven years to get, to get it published. At the beginning, nobody wanted to publish it. This is another story because nobody wants to say the king is naked. But it was a long, long work of understanding what I saw, trying to make sense out of it, creating new alternatives, and then publishing it. Seven years later, I ended up with a PhD, another PhD in uh, paradigms in surgery with eight, all the chapters, eight chapters of the PhD have been um, published by the time I received my 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 uh, doctorate, the other doctorate. So there One is a work here. There's several important things you're saying here. I mean, I saw it as the first day on plastic surgery. You had your you had your first you had your background in general surgery. You had your background in economics. You had your background of being, I'll say, a wise guy before that, meaning that you would challenge people uh, before that because you have had to have done that before. I'm just guessing that that you would see things that other people wouldn't see and you'd bring it up uh, and sometimes you'd be right. So you have a you have a history, but you also had curiosity. Uh, curiosity is so important in, in doing synchronicities, serendipity. You have to be curious, but then you added another vital part of that, which is perseverance. You you made an observation, you checked it out, you confirmed what you believed, but then you wanted to make sure that other people saw it because you had to be able to want it to change for the better you had in your heart and your mind make things better you're a doctor you want to yeah, we have that built into us you want to make things better and so you spent a lot of time trying to get what you saw that first day about the ellipse and closing a circle you saw that and you persisted in getting that information out to those who might need it and that is those three things, uh, the, the, trend, the noticing, the curiosity to notice, and then the backing it up, and then the work to back it up. Those are all so important in getting new ideas out. I will add one spice into the, the dish that you just started to. I keep expecting you to do that because uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's just what I'm seeing about you. And I really like that. So go ahead. I will add here one thing that you you cannot um, you cannot ignore it, and I'm adding into this equation, which this is the equation. I'm adding here luck. Sometimes, ah, luck. sometimes ah, it's luck. Luck. And I will fast forward seven years. I did a fellowship in skin cancer in Moss surgery. This is a special surgery that has been created by um, an, an American um, pathology surgeon who um, started a new field inside dermatology. And this is only removing skin cancers and immediately doing the analysis. You're both a pathologist and a surgeon. And I went to the Netherlands to learn it. And this is the luck, this is the very luck moment. I've been there in one of the consultations. The chief of the department there is saying the same thing. Now I'm backed up with a technique that I have invented, actually two techniques that I've invented, and I'm doing it for many years. Not my first day in residency, but certainly my first week in residency. And I'm telling the head of the department, you don't need to do an ellipse because if you're doing an ellipse on the face and instead of having one centimeter of scar, you end up with three centimeters of scar or six, whatever it is, this is a horrible result. And I'm saying, I have my own technique. And he said, nobody in the world knows how to close round lesions. And let's go to the operating room. He's taking me to the operating room. I'm showing him on one of the patients and we're coming back to his office. And he said, you just earned a PhD. Now I want you to go and show me mathematically. Don't tell me, show me mathematically, scientifically, 
that whatever you're saying about ellipses is right. So it took me another several years and I ended up writing it as a, as a, a dissertation and um, again, get another uh, doctorate. So sometimes you need luck. You need a person that will come and say, this is so innovative that I myself dedicating time so you will be able to prove it and everybody is going to learn it. So I'm putting here luck and, and Professor Martino Newman from Maastricht and then we moved to Rotterdam in the Netherlands was that lucky guy that I man, met and that enabled me to do it. So sometimes you need a mentor. You need someone who is not being intimidated by this paradigm shift that will open the door. Somebody who could see what you had just shown him and know that you were right. And it's fun to talk about terms. Uh, luck is when opportunity meets preparation is an, another definition of serendipity. Um, that you you were you were prepared. He was prepared too. I mean, it was a combination of the two of you. And it's so important to recognize that many meaningful coincidences involve both people, two people. And you want to see the situation from both sides. He saw you seeing something important that he could then recognize himself. And you were lucky to be there with him. Well, you, you, you chose to go to the Netherlands. Uh, it was something that draw, drew you there. And the fun part of it for me, without us talking about it very much, is that how come you went there? And, uh, and how did he happen to be? Well, he, he's who, who you wanted to study with, I think. But it, how, those things become wider and wider questions of, of how this, these coincidences happen, which we're not going to talk about today. But the important thing is you were in the right place at the right time with the right person. And right. that is a common meaningful coincidence. We've done the data we get that being in the right place at the right time helps further your educational career is in our research one of the most foremost common meaningful coincidences that we came up with. This just happens to be taking place in a, the rarefied atmosphere of plastic surgery. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful example. But what I like to do is, is say, well, it's part of a larger pattern. And this is a, a unique version on what uh, I had known before. There is a coincidence also here because I am a plastic surgeon and that department was uh, dermatology. And 20 years ago, no, derma no dermatologist will teach a plastic surgeon most surgery. Because it was like a competition, right? It's like a, it's like someone, a plastic surgeon, is teaching an ENT how to do rhinoplasty or facelift or something like this. It was really out of the establishment, totally that, out of the establishment. That's 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 great. That's great. And what we're talking about here is also something we're not going to define very well, but it's about you, Tamara. It's it's you. Uh, I mean, I can play with the word tomorrow, which sounds like tomorrow in English. That you're, <laughs> that you're very much to tomorrow and tomorrow. You're you're moving to the future, is what uh, your name seems to imply, and and you're gonna, and that's what you do, and that's what you've been doing, and that's what you're teaching. You're trying to teach people, and I'm trying to teach people something like what you're talking about. Uh, so that's a beautiful story. And I'll put it in a, the simple terms of being in the right place at the right time. Uh, and you were with the right person and you were, but the, the, the likelihoods, the probabilities of this one are pretty low. But for you, you're a low probability event creator or, or finder or something <laughs> like that. That it's, it's somehow, it, there's a kind of a sense that you begin to have is that tomorrow is going to find out uh, something that might be useful tomorrow. And that's like um, something that you've been doing. And it's a lot of fun to be able to be like that. And so it's part of you as an example of someone who uh, we call a high 
frequency coincider, someone who experiences lots of meaningful coincidences and they're part of their lives. And you are one that's unique to me because you're, you've been in so many different fields, but we're going to stay with you being um, a plastic surgeon for now. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I love it. Tomorrow and tomorrow, I'm going to adopt it. Thank you. You're welcome. I need to tell you, you're going to encounter in your life many events that you will not pay attention to them. Yes. Or partially pay attention to them. And the outcome will be totally, totally different. And uh, I can tell you several events like this during medical education. I know that you're mainly interested now in, in the medical side because um, uh, you're curious about the, 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 the physicians. I can tell you that in medicine, I have noticed other events, not fully, which means it happened. I took them. Some of them I have even saved life because of that. Some of them I could have done better. Uh, and maybe you cannot pay attention to everything, but you need to be very alert. You need to be very alert. And at the end, you have that much energy and that much time to invest. So invest in something that will be very creative, very important, very meaningful, that will really impact other people. For me, when it was with the surgical ellipse, I was obsessed with the lips. I was totally obsessed. I was so obsessed that people thought that something is not normal with you. And this is one of the things that you need, people need to pay attention when they are saying something that is the beginning of a paradigm shift, they are not the most popular people. You're coming with something that might be the head of your department, um, babies. I'll give you an example. When I did general surgery, it was the time that laparoscopic started operations. And the assistant, the associate um, chief of my department, he wrote an article that he's going to eat a hat if this procedure will be here in another 10 years. And he said, and why? Because he was so well known for open surgeries that he would have lost all of his prestige if this new paradigm is taking place. So sometimes the person who's coming with a new paradigm is not popular because you're jeopardizing the authority of someone who had this very famous uh, professional life because of that authority. So not always you're the most uh, lovable kid in town when you are um, challenging a paradigm. Sometimes you are going to be assassinated. Someone is going to kill you during this procedure. It happened to several Nobel Prize winners when they said something that was against the establishment at that time. So, and not only the earth is, um, you know, everything is moving around the earth, but sometimes those paradigms are keeping someone very safe. And you're coming and you're changing this equilibrium. And that's, uh, I'm, I'm doing that with trying to bring meaningful coincidences into the general public for the same general reason that people, many people want to hold on to their view of the world that mom, I am separate from my environment. And many coincidences show us that what I'm thinking and, and what happens out there are related to each other. And that means that we are not so unconnected. We are not islands. We are connected to other minds and, and other things around us. And that's a paradigm shift that is slowly happening and maybe accelerating now, but it, it offends a lot of people. And you're absolutely right. You, it takes some kind of courage and a little craziness and to be able to, and a determination to be able to do it, but you will run into problems with people not wanting to hear what you're saying. But one of the other things that you were starting to talk about that I think is so important 
is missed opportunities. Yeah. That that that, uh, that not just in surgery but in life, you can get to a situation where there's an opportunity presented to you, and there's a small window in which to grab that opportunity. Uh, and a friend a friend of mine took an elevator to the wrong floor. He wanted to see this. Uh, he's in, he was a writer, and he wanted to see this uh, the owner of a magazine, and somehow he got to the door of where this guy lived rather than to his office. Wow. And, and the door to his, his, his home, off, his apartment opened and he chickened out and went back down again. He didn't walk. He, mm. he, and that was a missed opportunity. The guy might not have been home. The editor, the owner might not have been home. There's all kinds of things could have happened, but you could have walked through the door. It's a literal description of there's an opportunity, are you going to take it or, or are you going to let it go by? And what you what you've have described, and, and in, generally speaking, is several times when you had an opportunity, you grasped it, you certainly did with the ellipse. Uh, sometimes when you partially grasped it, it could have been better. And other times when you look back and you say, I could have taken that opportunity and had a lot to happen in a positive direction but i didn't take it yeah yeah there are events that for sure coincidence were used for the good and even saved life i have one story like this i have several stories but i can tell you one of them one of my patients um, had um, implanted a um, had a new kidney kidney was implanted and then you're getting medicine and because you're getting medicine, your immune system is lower, ending up with skin cancers, many skin cancer, but one very special skin cancer, which is uh, sebaceous cyst cancer, which is a very rare form. And I was operating in many times. And then one day I had a little bit more time and I was sitting with him and talking to him. And he said that he's struggling because his wife passed away. Um, and from uh, from colon cancer. And then, I don't know, a month went by. And again, we had time to talk during the operation. It was local anesthesia. And then he mentioned that his wife was his cousin. And this is a synchronicity moment, okay, for someone who is... His wife was his cousin? His cousin, yes. Huh. Okay. And... There is a syndrome that is called Moyer-Touré syndrome, which is a syndrome of sebaceous cancer, a very rare skin cancer with a colon cancer. And then I said, if his wife died of colon cancer and he's immune depressed, his chance of getting colon cancer is very high. So I stopped everything and I called the gastroenterologist and I said, you need to take him today for a colonoscopy. And indeed he had a polyp, a, a low grade uh, malignant polyp that was removed and in a way saved his life. The story, the coincidence of telling me that um, he was griefing because of his wife's death and then telling me that his wife was his cousin and connecting these dots and ending up with an outcome that actually saved his life. And also all of his kids ended up doing uh, gastroenterology um, workup. And some of them had polyps, which is very common when you have this uh, syndrome. So the entire family had the syndrome. And only because he said something, and, and several weeks after that, he said something else. And I remember what he said. So sometimes you have a coincidence you you heard it you heard it on time and you end up you ended up using it and in medicine is saving life but in other places is saving an organization saving other things but i also had things that i missed opportunity for sure and one of them was a patient that came um, she had breast implants um, for aesthetic reasons and she came for consultation because she had a sarcoma, which is a very aggressive uh, cancer, soft tissue cancer, in her chest, not in her breast, but in her chest. 
Um, I'm talking 25, 30 years ago, nobody thought that there is any correlation between silicon implants and cancer. I knew only one thing, and this is when I was a child, I had a problem with my chin and I had a reconstruction that had inside silicone. So while all the male plastic surgeons are in the room and saying, no, it's not connected, there is no, nobody ever showed that there is any connection between implant, silicone implant and cancers, I called the operating room and I said, please close one of the rooms for me at four o'clock. And I took the chief of the department, I told him, this is not a random event. With the years, they will find that there is cancer. Now I am a ticking clock, a ticking bomb. I have an implant in my chin. So we went to the operating room several hours after I met that woman who passed away um, at that year, during that year. And we removed my implant, my chin implant, and did there with fat. And nobody can say that I have any problem because I have uh, a malformation of my chin. Now I went home and I said, I saved my life, but I didn't think that I can save someone else's life because if this was once, it could have been many more times. So I used it, you know, locally. It could have been bigger and in a way, we know today that there is a correlation between breast implants, which was a surgery that I refused to do all my life because I don't, I don't think that women needs to have any foreign body implanted in them. Um, and then I used it to myself. I saved myself. I could have saved other people because now we know that there is a correlation mainly with with um, lymph um, cancer, other other kind of cancers, but sometimes also sarcomas. I saw it, and I used it very locally. It could have been bigger. This is a missed opportunity. I could have researched it thirty years ago, and you know maybe change what is the most common. I think this is the most common plastic surgery procedure. Yeah, it uh, probably if, is. If you take out Botox, Botox is not a procedure. So I think this is the second. What, what do you think of, uh, of pacemakers as implanting something that is uh, foreign in your heart? Well, pacemaker is another, is another story. Without this, you can end up hand, having um, clots. You can end up having brain damage. You can end up having very um, fainting for sure. But this is another story. This is a this is a must do. It's and not cosmetic. Have... It's not cosmetic. No, this is not cosmetic. And you know, sometimes you can do ablation, so you can um, yeah keep you can but... skip the pacemaker, but not always. Pacemaker is a really life threatening um, situation that you cannot do. So having <laughs> imp it's another implant. Uh, it's a much smaller one. But yeah, the, the, the cost-benefit ratio is much better than it is putting a, a, a breast implant in. That, that's, that's totally correct. But also silicone has another thing, and this is there is leaking from silicone because you have a silicone gel there as well. This is just a coating of something, in of, of a uh, instrument in order that the body will not think that this is a foreign body and will reject it. But when we're talking about silicone, there is leaking of the silicone itself. And, and I did another work about, about silicone when I was at Harvard, about silicone that has been injected to lips and chins and, and cheeks and other places. So uh, this was something that was a missed opportunity. It wasn't a missed opportunity for myself. I saved myself. But I could have done something better with this opportunity, which I ignored. I mean, as we're getting near near the end of this uh, tomorrow, our our interview, but not our discussions, uh, is uh, is that pay attention to opportunities. Uh, you can not only help yourself, but you can also help others. And you're driven, I can tell, to help others. You are you are driven to make the world better 
somehow. Uh, you can't help it. And that's uh, that your curiosity and your persistence are all part of looking for something, anything really that comes your way in your life that you can grab and then turn into something that can be useful for some subsection of humanity. Right. I would I would bring here, this is the end of our interview, I would bring here a concept from Judaism that called tikkun olam. The, in, in the translation is, uh, you can improve the world. And the concept says that whoever created this world created imperfection. And we humans can add to this. And if you think about any PhD or MD that you did, this is the extra knowledge that you are adding to this globe or to this universe. And this is, I'm also teaching it in, in multiversism in the philosophy. So everything you need to think about scaling and impact, scaling and impact. You how can take- Scaling, how big can you make it? Yes. And how big will the impact of what you do be? Yes, yes. My, the story of this um, silicone implant was a story where I did something local. It could have been scaled and impact more people. And it's always come from the story of your life. Always, it's come, always, always from your comes journey. From, always comes from the story of your... I want to repeat that because uh, what people come up with is they're from their own experience and they generalize as best it, as best it generalizes to other people. And, and, and that needs to be said more. It just doesn't come out anywhere. It comes out of your experience of life. Yes. And this is if you are if you're doing something with it and if you're organizing this knowledge and if you're teaching others and if you're scaling it, you increase the impact in the world. And this is the concept of the Olam, the concept that this world can be better if we will do better, if we will do bigger, stronger, faster. And uh, I'm. I'm doing that with uh, meaningful coincidences. I'm trying to scale it uh, by starting with small group and then increasing increasingly larger groups to be able to say that synchronicity can also be a participant, a mechanism by which it's a process rather than an outcome. It's a process by which the world can be made better. And we need a lot of people making the world better right now. It's uh, We're in crisis. And synchronicity can pull people together, show how we're connected in ways that we can then work together for a tikkun olam. Amen. I'm a soldier in your army. Well, Baruch Hashem on this one. And we've, we've, we got some doctors to be able to get these ideas across. So I'll keep you I'll keep you posted on uh, what happens with Andrew Wiles group and what I'm doing with them and see how that develops because doctors are healers and we can make them better healers by having them know that meaningful coincidences are not just part of their lives but their patients lives and the lives of the institutions of which they're part of and that that can all help this what we need to get some help doing so uh, i thank you very much for being uh part of all this and doing it from doing it from a real doctor's perspective <laughs> i mean i'm like, still a, psychi I'm yeah. still a psychiatrist and the view of psychiatrists is we're not real doctors and and that's the fun of this because i i like being able to talk to people who are actually cutting people uh rather than <laughs> doing what I do. We are, we are the two edges, but you know, we spoke only medicine today, but this is true for life because I have, I have people who took my classes and my courses ending up doing um, new startups, ending up changing, doing free innovation, doing things that are changing humanity. Those are things that can be scaled in every field. Yes, the process you are describing in your way 
of going from uh, random to coincidence to synchronicity to serendipity, which is your way of saying something that is the same idea, that we that this this process you are giving birth, have given birth from yourself, is all part of not just medicine, but out there in the world and all kinds of other places. And uh, that's true of what I'm doing as well. And we need different perspectives on this. I'm just one person. Uh, you have a wonderful perspective on all this, and I deeply respect what you're doing. And mostly, I, I respect the passion with which you're doing it, because that's what it takes. Underneath it all, you got to have that drive. And tomorrow, you have a passion for making a better tomorrow. And I thank you very, very much for being on the show. And yeah, we'll be communicating about medicine, among other things, in, into the future. So thank you again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. And you're an inspiration to those processes. And thank you for your books and for being the next person in history after, after Jung that is popularizing this uh, synchronicity thing. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Yeah, and thank you for that. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness